0: I'm glad you're here. I'm going to spend a couple of moments uh, talking about the Bible and opening the Bible. I hope you have a Bible with you, because that's sort of where I want to start a little bit this morning, talking about whether or not uh, it's really uh, important for us to understand uh, and to consider what the Scriptures actually say. Do you need a Bible if you have Jesus in your heart? I remember in... um, in a particular Bible class, I was once told that a person had Jesus in their heart, and that was probably more important than really knowing what the Bible taught or memorizing Scripture, uh, that we ought to focus on this aspect of whether or not Jesus is in our hearts. And uh, I don't discount that. I think certainly uh, what we need to recognize is that we are called to have Jesus dwell within us, uh, and to have Jesus in our lives and to have a relationship with Jesus is what it's all about. But I wondered about the question, and I wondered about as well the statement how would you respond to that uh, from the standpoint of uh, comparing uh, the importance of Scripture and the importance of the Bible with having Jesus in our lives? I told the person that I didn't think those things were mutually exclusive, uh, that having Jesus in our lives and having a relationship with Christ was brought about by our understanding of what the Scriptures actually taught. And I went on to try to say that you can't get Jesus into your heart without knowing what the Bible teaches. That you can't have a relationship with Christ without understanding what God has revealed in Scripture. Now, the Scripture itself is what tells us that. Paul says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's not necessarily circular reasoning, because for us to ever understand the importance of Scripture, we have to consider Scripture and look at it and understand its place in terms of uh, the life of those who claimed uh, that they were speaking from God. There are many today who view Christianity, or they view the idea of being a Christian, apart from and independent from any aspect of a belief in the Bible as the Word of God. And that's a serious perspective, I think. Can one claim to follow Jesus and call himself a Christian and not believe in the absolute authority of Scriptures? Can a person base their relationship to Christ on something apart from or absent from the aspect of a belief in the authority of Scriptures? Uh, I think it's been for some time now that uh, Satan has been able to uh, pose, uh, present a lie that's been r- readily accepted uh, in terms of the understanding of Jesus, and that is that Jesus was sort of this anti-organized religion revolutionary uh, who went about decrying the aspect of religion, and he actually opposed those who were walking around with the Bibles in their hands in the first century, and that that's who Jesus was, and we need to be like him. And I think if we look closer at the Scriptures and what they tell us about Christ, we'd understand that's sort of a distorted view of who Jesus is and who Jesus was. There are some who suggest that we stop quoting the Bible and start loving each other, that we need to lay down our Bibles and be more like Jesus and love each other. Did Jesus lay down his Bible, or did Jesus have a relationship with Scripture? How did Jesus feel about the Scriptures under which he lived and the things that were revealed in the time in which he lived before God? Again, I'm suggesting to you that Uh, loving one another and being an individual who uh, does what's best for the other person is not mutually exclusive from understanding what the scriptures teach or spending some time in looking at the bible in fact i would suggest to you that if we look at the bible and we clearly understand who jesus was and we strive to be like jesus we'll be exactly that kind of person but it'll be because we have an understanding of what the scriptures actually teach and ultimately what god has revealed through his word what about jesus What is it Attitude towards the scriptures under which he lived, about the Bible of his day, which of course were Old Testament (laughs) scriptures. I want to take a couple minutes and look at that this morning because I think there are some things for us to recognize about Jesus' attitude. Even though Jesus did clearly denounce the (laughs) hypocritical practices of the religious people of his day, he had no place for the the, uh, pseudo religious organization that existed in his day, even under the banner of being God's people. He never suggested to them that they quit looking at Scripture or that they quit quoting Scripture or that they could quit, quit considering Scripture. In fact, he never encouraged anyone to not read the Scriptures or to not obey everything that the Scriptures had provided. In Matthew chapter 23, as he's amidst a great discussion of denouncing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, he says in chapter 23, verse 23: Woe to you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites For you pay tithes of mint and anise and come in and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus' theology was that every commandment was important. And even though a person could take it to the extreme in the erection of traditions and become hypocritical and even make void the word of God in their own life, that did not discount the importance of every single commandment. So he says, these you should have done and not left the others undone. Consider for a moment what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, Do you not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does not teach them, who does and teaches them, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, after Jesus assured his leaders that he did not come to set aside the law of Moses to nullify it in any way or to destroy it, he affirmed the permanence, the absolute permanence of God's revelation. Not one jot or one tittle will pass away until all these things are fulfilled. But then he states a conclusion, and that is that it's necessary to obey every single command, that the kingdom and presence in the kingdom is based upon obedience to the will of God, in a comprehensive way. Now, Jesus' words, there, I think there's a lot for us to see in those things, and we could spend some time talking about the relationship between the first revelation and the final revelation, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But there's also in these words clearly an attitude about Scripture that we dare not miss, of Jesus' belief and the authority of God's Word, that Jesus' conclusion about the Scriptures was unlike many today, we discount it or see that it sometimes is it's viewed as being arbitrary or at least sometimes contradictory to a relationship with God. But I'm going to look a little closer because I think there's several things in Scripture, events in Jesus' attitude about Scripture that can we, that we can re- recognize. The historical context is important here in the sense of Jesus' Bible. We have a Bible today that's made of both Old and New Testament. And we have to make the distinction between the two. And we have to look at the Bible as a whole because God, I believe, expects us to do that. But in Jesus' day, of course, uh, he read a Bible of his own that was unlike ours. It wasn't exactly like ours. And the reason was because the New Testament had not been revealed yet. So when we turn to the New Testament and we read those things about Jesus, we recognize that that came after Jesus' physical life and his ascension back to heaven. The Old Testament scriptures, though, did exist. And Jesus sometimes referred to them as the Law and the Prophets. In the Old Testament scriptures, the Law and Prophets was written about 1,500 years before Jesus was born. Over a period of time, it was the collection of 28 different men, or the writings of 28 different men. And by Jesus' day, by the time we get to the first century, those Old Testament books had been collected together and translated from the original Hebrew scriptures into the Greek scriptures, sometimes called the Septuagint version. And it was from this Greek version of the New Testament, uh, of the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus often quoted and, and offered reference and certainly read from. Now, Jesus never questioned the authenticity or, or the authority of that translated scripture. And that's an important consideration because there are a lot of folks that go around today and say, well, you know, the Bible's an old book. It's been translated from language to language and all different. Look at all the versions of the Bible. How can I possibly put any trust in something that man have handled so much and translated so much is bound to be corrupted? How can we believe that that's exactly what God revealed or was written in the time in which it was written? It was so long ago. But then you look at Jesus. He picked up the Old Testament Scriptures that were written 1,500 years before he was born, and he quoted from them after they'd been translated into another language, and he said, this is God's Word. He did not doubt the authenticity of those words or the authority of those words. Jesus understood that the Scriptures were written by men, that God had inspired individual men to write down the words, but he also believed they were inspired by God. He didn't see those two things as being contradictory one to the other. <coughs> and that's important as, as well. If I'm going to look at the scriptures today, would it not benefit me to look at them the same way that Jesus looked at the scriptures of his day? He didn't sit around doubting and wondering whether or not it had been translated correctly or that this was the way it ought to be viewed or to, 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 uh, to put it under the gun of higher criticism and try to denounce the authority of what had been written before In fact, you look at Jesus' statement in Mark chapter 12, verse 36. Jesus said, For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now this is one of the many occasions when Jesus quoted Old Testament scriptures. But notice that Jesus credits that the Holy Spirit was moving David to write the prophecy in the 110th Psalm, quoting from the 110th Psalm. And what Jesus says about it is that the Holy Spirit told David what to say. The Holy Spirit moved David to write these words down. Well, when did David write them? David wrote these words a thousand years before Jesus lived. And yet Jesus in his own day said the Holy Spirit led David to write these things. So certainly we recognize that Jesus understood the concept of inspiration and held it as being true in his own day of the Old Testament Scriptures. And we can cite many examples where Jesus, you see, said about these scriptures. These things were written long ago, but they're being fulfilled now. This is what was written, and this is the meaning of what was written. It fascinates me that Jesus quoted scripture so much, but also that he quoted from the Psalms more than any other book of the Old Testament. It's a book, I think, that uh, that might tell us something about, uh, about the books that we read and the books that we don't read. Uh, the book of Psalms was a book of worship, a, a book of uh, uh, individuals, the psalmist's feelings towards God, It differs from Romans and other books of doctrine, and yet Jesus recognized the doctrinal authority of the Old Testament writings of the Psalms. Why? Because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and there were applications in the Psalms to be made. Jesus grew up as a Jew under the law of Moses, and under the auspices of law-abiding parents. At the age of 12, Jesus was busy reading the scriptures. And understanding Old Testament Scripture. Remember that familiar event when he was in the temple there at the age of 12. And it tells us there that uh, the experts of the law in the temple were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Luke chapter 2, verse 47. So here's a young man at the age of 12 who already understands what the law says and making, you see, clear application of it. However you read that in terms of Jesus being God himself... And knowing scripture, knowing what God, what God himself had revealed, or whether or not that particular passage is talking about his development as a human being, certainly the scriptures present both to us. However, you work that out in your minds, it's certainly, I think, impressive to recognize that Jesus held the scriptures to be highly valuable, even in his development as a child. But why did Jesus read scripture? Why was it such an important part? Well, I think a couple of things, a couple of reasons I could pre- present. One is, I think because he wanted to show others that the scriptures themselves, the Old Testament scriptures, were the source of truth. That if they're going to answer a question, if they're going to come to a conclusion, if they're going to decide what God wants them to do, Jesus always pointed them back to Old Testament scriptures, as opposed to the teachings of men. To show as well that the scriptures were to bring about faith in him. If Jesus was concerned about people believing in him and about establishing his identity, then that's the place he would go, and that's the place that he did go. The scriptures have spoken of me. These Old Testament scriptures have meaning beyond their own time. And also, I think, to see, to evidence the value of the words that were there, to recognize that God established Old Testament scriptures for the very purposes for which Jesus was using it as a guide to life. You remember when we studied a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy chapter 17 from the Old Testament where God is giving permissive legislation about the establishment of kings that when when you get into the land and you're going to have a king rule over you then he needs to be this kind of person. He needs to be chosen from among you. And then in the last of those requirements of Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18 through 20 he says the king needs to make a copy of the law and keep it with him all the time. And he needs to reference it as a guide for how he will. Exercise authority over my people. I find that enlightening that God would say about the physical kingship of Israel that the physical kingship of Israel, when it would when it was to arrive, God would put it under the regulation of the Old Testament scriptures. He would tell the king that existed thousands of years later. You need to go back and read what Moses wrote. You need to go back to what the scriptures are, and you keep them with you so that you can use that as a guide as to how how to be the right kind of king for Israel. Now, if that applied to David and to Saul, to Solomon, what about Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of every king reference, every good king reference in the Old Testament? Does it surprise us then that Jesus would keep a copy of the law, that he would reference it often? He certainly was the king of Israel. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus quotes scripture from 12 Old Testament (coughs) books. He constantly appealed to the Old Testament and relied upon them in his own teaching. Even as he was dying on the cross, he was quoting scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the midst of great suffering, his mind was focused on what God had revealed before and about the importance of that revelation to minds of men. I believe in that case, that particular occasion, trying to bring to the minds who were watching him die the fulfillment of that crucifixion in the 22nd Psalm. He anticipated others would recognize these scriptures as well. That when he quoted even partial parts of the Old Testament scriptures, the people would bring them to their mind, and they would make a real attempt to try to make the connection that Jesus was making. So Jesus' view of Old Testament scripture was at center stage throughout his ministry. It was what people respected him for. It was probably why people hated him. The Pharisees criticized him because they thought he didn't keep the law. And when He answered their arguments and He talked about their hypocrisy, it says there that they understood that He was talking about them from Old Testament Scriptures. When the common person heard Him speak, they said He's not speaking like everybody else, but He speaks as one has authority, not as the scribes. Authority over what? Authority from where? From the Scriptures. That particular remark comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I know you've heard it said, but I say unto you. The authority of the Old Testament lives or dies with Jesus. Our attitude towards Scripture is rooted in Jesus' attitude towards Scripture. When you look at the, at the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, and what did Jesus believe about the Old Testament Scripture? Well, let's just make some observations about that. One, I think, he accepted the Old Testament Scripture as historically accurate. And that's hard to find somebody today who believes that. That there really wasn't Adam, there really wasn't Eve, there really wasn't Noah, that there really wasn't Jonah, that these things actually happened. In Jesus' ministry, he often referred to actual, literal Old Testament events. He used them not just to tell stories, but rather to make doctrinal points and to draw people to faith. He recounted those events as they were recorded in Old Testament Scripture. He wasn't recalling simply stories his parents had told him. He was going back to the Old Testament Scripture and quoting Old Testament Scripture to bring to mind these events. And Matthew's Gospel, Jesus, makes eight literal references to the people and the events of the events that were written in the book of Genesis. Now you go to find religious scholars today about the, uh, uh, and read commentaries on the book of Genesis, and probably one of the first things you'll come across is that these things didn't really happen. This is just an an israelite account of what happened these are just myths that built around the traditions of the of the israelites and the jewish nation jesus lived a long time after those things as i mentioned 1500 years after those things were written down by moses, about moses and yet he never considered them to be mythology mythology in Matthew 19, Jesus reverenced the creation of Adam and Eve and teaching about the pattern of marriage. He sent people all the way back to Genesis to talk about marriage. He affirmed the scientific accuracy of the Old Testament scriptures when he taught and, realized, and said that God created the world in Mark chapter 13 and verse 19. Now, was Jesus just fooled by the superstition of his day or did he really believe that this word in Genesis was the word of God? In Matthew chapter twenty-three he mentioned the murder of Abel. He spoke about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as true historical characters. He accounted the story of Jonah, and the great fish. We accepted it as historical fact. Now if he if he didn't, if he was just recounting a fable, then it throws a great deal of discredit on even things important as his resurrection because in Matthew chapter 12 he talked about his resurrection in the context of the story of Jonah and the fish. Do you use mythology? Do you use a made-up story to reference something that is doctrinally important and central to your own identity as your resurrection? But if you base it on what is historical fact known by those who believe the Word of God as the Word of God, then it makes sense, it makes powerful sense to know that those things were written to preface and to look forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's how Jesus used it. Jesus spoke about the flood of Noah, an Old Testament event that many people reject today as being fairy tale. Luke chapter 17, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So Jesus in this very same text mentions a lot and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the fate of Lot's wife in verse 32. All of that is a warning against the judgment of God. If those things didn't actually happen, then Jesus, you see, his references become illogical. Not only that, what it shows us and what we're pointing out today is that Jesus believed them to be historically true. Was he fooled about it? Was he not as smart as these people who write about it today? Or did Jesus understand it? the scripture was true? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus referenced the widow of Zarephath provided for Elijah the prophet. He spoke about Elisha and the story of Naaman the leper in Luke chapter 4. Read those stories. Think carefully about Jesus' words and conclude for yourself if you think Jesus thought these stories were just fables or whether he recognized them to be true. Two important considerations here. One is, I think, that all of those events involved, miraculous intervention, those things we just mentioned, the widow of Zarephath, Noah and the flood, Lot's the salvation of Lot, Jonah the whale, the fish. What Jesus did not do in referencing those particular historical events from Old Testament scripture, he did not dismiss or explain them away, the miraculous events themselves. He didn't say, Well, this didn't really happen, this is the way we thought that it happened, That this is the way it's told. And Jesus used the events as the foundation of his own teaching, and therefore he opened himself to a great deal of criticism. Those things were not so. Certainly his enemies have quickly have said, well, you realize that that didn't really happen, or that you can't know that that happened because that was written so long ago. Now granted, most of his audience were Jewish audience who believed the historical accuracy of the Old Testament Scriptures. But there were many enemies of Jesus who were not. And yet to place the foundation of his teaching upon that put Jesus at great risk if he was simply entertaining fables. Jesus believed as well that the scriptures are the foundation of faith. And by that I mean that Jesus looked at the Old Testament scriptures as a way in which people could get to him. That if he was concerned about who he was, and whether or not people were concerned about people believing who he was, then what evidence could he produce? When Jesus talked talked about the aspect of faith, and people having faith, the answer to the why question of that for Jesus on most occasions, with the testimony of Scripture. In John chapter 5, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they would not believe in him, because they would not recognize who he was. And he presented three witnesses. He says, I'm not without witness here. He presented three witnesses to testify his identity. He said, John the Baptist, whom you have rejected, spoke about me. He said, the miraculous works that the Father has given me, I work those, and those works testify of me. But they ascribed those to the devil and said, you're only doing those by the power of Beelzebub. But then he says in John chapter 5 verse 38 that there's the testimony of Old Testament Scripture. He said, But do you not have a word abiding in you? Because to whom he sent him you do not believe? If you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may come, that you have life. Later on he said, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me, in verse 46. So Jesus made clear indication that he believed the Old Testament Scriptures was the avenue through which they could come to believe in him. Again, Jesus placing the validity of his own identity solely on the shoulders of the Old Testament Scriptures. After his resurrection, when remember when he was traveling along and he came across the, the disciples on, uh, on the way back to Emmaus that had witnessed the uh, events of Jerusalem and were perplexed because the one who was to redeem Israel had been crucified on a cross that Jesus rebuked those two disciples because they were so slow to believe. He said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, not not the Christ who have suffered these things and entered into his glory. He called them foolish. Why? Because they didn't look in the Old Testament Scriptures and see these things as being fulfillments of the Old Testament Scriptures. Now that's putting a lot of trust and certainly a lot of confidence in the ability of the Old Testament scripture to influence the heart. It also shows us that Jesus you see, certainly believed what the Old Testament Scriptures said reflected upon his own life, and that he was to fulfill those things. He expected that the Old Testament Scriptures would be enough to convince these disciples that what they had seen was God's doing. That's impressive to me. Because I go to tell people, why should you do this? Why should you do that? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And I tell them because the Bible says so, and they look at me like I'm crazy. That's all you got? Just the Bible? And that's exactly how Jesus viewed it. Here's the Scriptures. Read what the Scriptures say. This is enough to produce faith in your life. It's the fact that God has said it. And so Jesus constantly used, you see, the Scriptures, the Old Testament Scriptures, to make his point. In this way, you see, he indicated the foundational position of Scripture in in determining conviction in a person's heart. That the Old Testament was authoritative in that way. When the Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath by plucking grain in the field in Mark in Matthew chapter 12, he applied the scripture. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? In verse 5, or have you not read in the law on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? In verse 7, but if you have known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, quoting Old Testament scripture, you would have condemned the, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now you see what Jesus did? He's going to answer their objections, you see to whether or not he is right or wrong and how he approaches the Sabbath and Jesus' defense against that is scripture. This is why you're wrong. Jesus even expressed the truth based on the tense of a verb in Matthew chapter 22. You Maybe you're familiar with this. Questioned whether or not there was a resurrection. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't agree on that. And Jesus, you see, in Matthew chapter 22 said, think about what God said. I am the God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus' conclusion about God was that he's not the God of the dead, but rather he's the God of the living. Therefore, if he says, I am the God of Abraham, and Abraham must still be alive. Therefore, if Abraham's alive, there is a resurrection. You see his point? Point based on what? On the tense of a verb in the Hebrew text that was written 1,500 years ago that was translated into a different language. Hanging by a thread there, aren't you, Jesus? No. Because Scripture's true. Jesus understood the authority of revealed Scripture. And so I look at my willingness to base my convictions and my practice simply on what's written in the words of the Bible. And recognize I have nothing to be ashamed of nor afraid of. Because that's what Jesus did as well. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of God. Matthew chapter 9 Jesus quoted in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he told the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means. What Jesus was doing there, he was encouraging others to see, see the Scriptures and to study the Scriptures and to see what the Scriptures actually said. And that's what he would encourage me. Look at what God has written. Look what God has revealed. Study it and know what it says because if you understand what it says, then you'll know where you are in your relationship to God and whether or not you have Jesus in your heart. The Scriptures, as well, must be obeyed. And there's nobody that teaches us that more emphatically than Jesus himself. We recognize that Jesus never broke any of the laws of Moses himself. Peter points that out, that he was without sin. His perfect obedience not only encourages us from the standpoint of the possibility of doing God's will, but calls us to a very high standard. In essence, the only standard the Scripture provides not to in any way suggest that you and I can be without sin because we have already messed that up and we are sinners or we have committed sin, and therefore need Jesus. But recognizing what Jesus says about the authority of Scripture is important. That we are to obey the law of God written by God. When Satan tempted Jesus to disobey in Matthew chapter 4, I'm familiar with this event, how did Jesus answer him? Jesus called on the authority not in himself. He did not call upon his position at the right hand of God or anything having to do with his character or the nature of, of the divine nature of Jesus. He called upon the authority of the scripture to answer Jesus, to say, answer Satan. Three times Jesus was tempted, he says, it is written. So Jesus expressed the authority and the sufficiency of God's word, of God's voice in the Old Testament scriptures, in, re- in relationship to his own morality. He was willing to use the scriptures not only to judge what other people should do, but ultimately what he would do. Now that's impressive because Jesus is God. And yet Jesus would put himself under the subjection of the word of God as he lived upon a man in every regard. So we recognize that Jesus taught others to obey the scriptures. After Jesus cleansed a certain leper, Jesus warned him and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses has commanded in the testimony him. Here's a man who's been cleansed of a horrible disease, and a great miracle has been uh, has been uh, performed. And no doubt, the first thing he wants to do is go tell his friends and neighbors and his family that he's not a leper anymore. And Jesus said, "Oh, wait a wait, minute, wait, wait. Before you go do that, you need to go obey the law. The law says you need to be cleansed by a priest and pronounced clean." You think Jesus could have? The man might have said, "Been thought thought to say, but Jesus, you cleansed me. It's not like I got over this on my own." You performed a miracle. I'm not a leper anymore. Jesus said, Go obey the law. That's what the law says. So Jesus taught people to keep the law in every detail of their life. When asked about whether or not a person, what one person can do to inherit eternal life, Matthew chapter 19, you see, Jesus said, Keep the law. When asked about divorce, Jesus went to the record of creation in Genesis Have you not read that you made them? Beginning made them male and female. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer uh, two, but no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let not man separate. Matthew chapter 19, verse 36. Another element here as we close, <coughs> in terms of Jesus' reflection on the, the authority of Scripture, that Jesus constantly rebuked those. Who elevated human tris- tradition to the authoritative plane of God's word. Now that's important to recognize. Not just because we come away with Jesus saying don't keep the teachings of men. But the other imp- implication of that is that God's word's way up here. That what God says is highly elevated above anything that man says. That Jesus made that distinction. Clear distinction. And every argument that he had ever had with the Pharisees. Is the difference between what you say and what God says. It is, I know you heard it said, but I say unto you, you've taken your traditions and built a hedge around the law. You take the word of God and use it against itself. You make the word of God uh, void. And so, Mark chapter 7, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament In vain do they worship me, teaching a doctrine, the commandments of me. Let me ask you that. Is that a New Testament passage? Is that an Old Testament passage? In vain do they worship me, if teaching the doctrine of me. Both, isn't it? Talking about the importance of keeping the law that you and I would apply today, and every generation would come. Jesus went back and reflected for us his attitude and his interpretation of Old Testament scripture. There's no place for the traditions of men alongside the teachings of God. You have to be able to make that distinction, and we cannot teach the doctrines of men as though they were the doctrines of God. So Jesus affirmed a unique place for Scripture that's not much accepted today. There's not much placed in terms of people's lives, in terms of how they serve God, or whether or not they have Jesus living in their heart. Jesus believed that Scripture was the only pathway to eternal life. There was the way individuals, you see, got to God, was to obey the Scripture and listen to the words of God. A certain lawyer stood and tested him in Luke chapter 10, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? How can I get to heaven? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading? That's the first place to go. What's God so said? So he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Spelled in the Bible. And Jesus said, you've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Wish that had been a conversation I had with that other gentleman. Do this and you will live. Let me take you to the scriptures. This is the avenue to understanding how Jesus can come and live in your heart. How you can have a relationship with God. It's not one to the exclusion of the other. It's that scripture is the actual avenue by which Jesus can come and dwell within you. So Jesus dwells in us by faith, Paul says in Ephesians chapter. And It's through the faith in the word of God that we come to be the children of God. So Jesus commissioned the apostles to usher in his kingdom and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved and he who do not believe will be condemned. Now when you look at that verse, you have a tendency to try to make a distinction between the commandments of Scripture and a relationship with Jesus. Do you think Jesus cares whether or not you obey this command, his command to believe and be baptized? Is there any inkling anywhere in the preaching of the apostles that a person could get to Jesus apart from obedience to the will of God? Or is the principle remain true, even as it was evidenced in Jesus' own life, that the authority of God is contained within the words of God? And to be his child, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I must be obedient to the will of God and to the words of God. You can come into the kingdom today, but you can't do it by ignoring Scripture. And you can't do it By ignoring the commandments of God. You must respond in faith and obedience to his will. Jesus teaches us that. Because Jesus loves us and Jesus loves you. So we would call you to be a Christian based on that very fact. Not to join a religious organization to adhere to a religious doctrine. But because Jesus loves you and died for you and wants to come and live in your heart. And wants to be a part of your life. He calls you to be obedient to the will of God. Will you do that this morning? Maybe we can help you while we stand and while we sing.